Welcome to Bite at a Time Books, where we read you your favorite classics one bite at a time. My name is Brie Carlisle, and I love to read and wanted to share my passion with listeners like you. If you want to know what's coming next and vote on upcoming books, sign up for our newsletter at biteatatimebooks.com. You'll also find our new t-shirts in the shop, including podcast shirts and quote shirts from your favorite classic novels. Be sure to follow my show on your favorite podcast platform so you get all the new episodes. You can find most of our links in the show notes. But also our website, biteatatimebooks.com, includes all of the links for our show, including to our Patreon to support the show, and YouTube, where we have special behind-the-narration of the episodes. We're part of the Bite at a Time Books Productions Network. If you'd also like to hear what inspired your favorite classic authors to write their novels— and what was going on in the world at the time, check out the Bite at a Time books behind the story podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Please note, while we try to keep the text as close to the original as possible, some words have been changed to honor the marginalized communities who've identified the words as harmful and to stay in alignment with Bite at a Time books' brand values. Today we'll be continuing Great Expectations by Charles Dickens. Chapter 42 Dear boy and Pip's comrade, I am not a-going to fur to tell you my life like a song or a storybook, but to give it you short and handy, I'll put it at once in a mouthful of English. In jail and out of jail, in jail and out of jail, in jail and out of jail. There you've got it. That's my life pretty much, down to such times as I got shipped off, Arter Pip stood my friend. I've been done everything, too. Pretty well except hanged. I've been locked up as much as a silver tea kettle. I've been carted here and carted there and put out of this town and put out of that town, and stuck in the stocks and whipped and worried and drove. I've no more notion where I was born than you have, if so much. I first become aware of myself down in Essex, a thieving turnips for my living. Someone had run away from me, a man, a tinker, and he'd took the fire with him and left me very cold. I knowed my name to be Magwitch, christened Abel. How did I know it? Much as I knowed the birds' names in the hedges to be Chaffinch, Sparrow, Thrush. I might have thought it was all lies together, only as the birds' names come out true, I supposed mine did. So fur as I could find, there weren't a soul that see young Abel Magwitch with us little on him as in him, but what caught frighted him and either drove him off or took him up. I was took up, took up, took up to that extent that I regularly growed up and took up. This is the way it was, that when I was a ragged little creature, as much as to be pitied as ever I see, not that I looked in the glass, for there weren't many insides of furnished houses known to me, I got the name of being hardened. This is a terrible hardened one they says to prison wizards, picking out me, maybe said to live in jails this boy. Then they looked at me, and I looked at them, and they measured my head some on him. They had better measured my stomach, and others on em give me tracts what I couldn't read, and made me speeches what I couldn't understand. They always went on aging me about the devil. But what the devil was I to do? I must put something in my stomach, mustn't I? Howsomever, I'm a-getting low, and I know what's due. Dear boy and Pip's comrade, don't you be afeard of me being low, tramping, begging, thieving, working sometimes when I could. No, that weren't as often as you may think till you put the question whether you would have been over ready to get me work yourselves. A bit of a poacher, a bit of a laborer, a bit of a wagoner, a bit of a haymaker, a bit of a hawker. A bit of most things that don't pay and lead to trouble. I gotta be a man. A deserting soldier in a traveler's rest. 
what lay hid up to the chin under a lot of taters, learned me to read. In a traveling giant, what signed his name at a penny a time learned me to write. I weren't locked up as often now as formerly, but I wore out my good share of key metal still. At Epsom races a matter of over twenty years ago, I got acquainted with a man whose skull I'd cracked with this poker, like the claw of a lobster if I'd got it on this hob. His right name was Compison, and that's the man, dear boy, what you say me pounding in the ditch, according to what you truly told your comrade utter I was gone last night. He set up for a gentleman, this Compison, and he'd been to a public boarding school and had learning. He was a smooth one to talk and was a dab at the ways of gentlefolks. He was good-looking, too. It was the night afore the great race when I found him on the heath, in a booth that I note on. Him and some more was a-sitting among the tables when I went in, and the landlord, which had knowledge of me and was a sporting one, called him out and said, I think this is a man that might suit you, meaning I was. Combe said he looks at me very noticing, and I look at him. He has a watch and a chain and a ring and a breastpin and a handsome suit of clothes. To judge from appearances, you're out of luck, said Compeyson to me. Yes, master, and I've been in it much. I'd come out of Kingston jail last on a vagrancy committal. No, but what it might have been for something else, but it weren't. Luck changes, says Compeyson. Perhaps yours is going to change. I says I hope it may be so, there's room. What can you do, says Compeyson. Eat and drink, I says, if you'll find the materials. Compeyson laughed, looked at me again, very noticing. Give me five shillings and appointed me for next night, same place. I went to Compeyson next night, same place, and Compeyson took me on to be his man and partner. And what was Compeyson's business in which we was to go partners? Compeyson's business was the swindling, handwriting, forging, stolen banknote passing, and such like. All sorts of traps as Compeyson could set with his head and keep his own legs out of and get the profits from and let another man in for was Compeyson's business. He'd no more heart than an iron file. He was as cold as death, and he had the head of the devil aforementioned. There was another in with Compeyson, as was called Arthur. Not as being so christened, but as a surname. He was in a decline and was a shadow to look at. Him and Compeyson had been in a bad thing with a rich lady some years afore, and they'd made a pot of money by it. But Compeyson betted and gamed, and he'd have run through the king's taxes. So Arthur was a dying and a dying porn with the horrors on him and Compeyson's wife which Compeyson kicked mostly was a having pity on him when she could, and Compeyson was a having pity on nothing and nobody. I might have took a warning by Arthur, but I didn't, and I won't pretend I was particular, for where'd be the good on it, dear boy and comrade? So I begun with Compeyson and a poor tool I was in his hands. Arthur lived at the top of Compeyson's house, over nigh Brentford it was, and Compeyson kept a careful account again for him board and lodging in case he should ever get better to work it out, but Arthur soon settled the account. The second or third time as ever I see him, he come a-tearing down into Compeyson's parlor late at night, in only a flannel gown with his hair all in a sweat, and he says to Compeyson's wife, Sally, she really is upstairs alonger me now, and I can't get rid of her. She's all in white, he says, with white flowers in her hair, and she's awful mad, and she's got a shroud hanging over her arm, and she says she'll put it on me at five in the morning. Says Compeyson, why you fool, don't you know she's got a living body? And how should she be up there without coming through the door, in at the window, and up the stairs? I don't know how she's there, says Arthur, shivering dreadful with the horrors. But she's standing in the corner at the foot of the bed, awful mad. And over where her heart's broke, you broke it. There's drops of blood. Compeyson spoke hardly, but he was always a coward. 
Go up along or this driveling sick man, he says to his wife, and Magwitch, lend her a hand, will you? But he never come nigh himself. Combison's wife and me took him up to bed again, and he raved most dreadful. Why, look at her, he cries out. She's shaking the shroud at me. Don't you see her? Look at her eyes. Ain't it awful to see her so mad? Next, he cries, she'll put it on me, and then I'm done for. Take it away from her, take it away. And then he catched hold of us and kept on a-talking to her and a-answering of her till I half-believed I see her myself. Gompison's wife, being used to him, give him some liquor to get the horrors off, and by and by he quieted. Oh, she's gone. Has her keeper been for her, he says. Yes, says Gompison's wife. Did you tell him to lock her and bar her in? Yes. And to take that ugly thing away from her? Yes, yes, all right. You're a good creature, he says. Don't leave me, whatever you do, and thank you. He rested pretty quiet till it might want a few minutes of five, and then he starts up with a scream and screams out. Here she is. She's got the shroud again. She's unfolding it. She's coming out of the corner. She's coming to the bed. Hold me both on you, one on each side. Don't let her touch me with it. Ah, she missed me that time. Don't let her throw it over my shoulders. Don't let her lift me up to get it round me. She's lifting me up. Keep me down. Then he lifted himself up hard and was dead. Gombison took it easy as a good riddance for both sides. Him and me was soon busy, and first he swore me, being ever artful on my own book. This here little black book, dear boy, what I swore your comrade on. Not to go into the things that Gombison planned and I'd done, which would take a week, I'll simply say to you, dear boy and Pip's comrade, that that man got me into such nets as made me his black slave. I was always in debt to him, always under his thumb, always a-working, always a-getting into danger. He was younger than me, but he'd got craft and he'd got learning and he overmatched me five hundred times told and no mercy. My missus as I had the hard time with stopped, though. I brought her in. He looked about him in a confused way, as if he had lost his place in the book of his remembrance, and he turned his face to the fire and spread his hands broader on his knees and lifted them off and put them on again. There ain't no need to go into it, he said, looking round once more. The time with Combison was almost as hard as ever I had. That said all said. Did I tell you as I was tried alone for misdemeanor while with Combison? I answered no. Well, he said, I was and got convicted. As to took up on suspicion, that was twice or three times in the four or five years that it lasted. But evidence was wanting. At last, me and Compison was both committed for felony, on a charge of putting stolen notes in circulation. And there was other charges behind. Gombison says to me, separate defenses, no communication, and that was all. And I was so miserable poor that I sold all the clothes I had except what hung on my back before I could get jaggers. When we was put in the dock, I noticed first of all what a gentleman Gombison looked with his curly hair and his black clothes and his white pocket handkerchief, and what a common sort of wretch I looked. When the prosecution opened and the evidence was put short aforehand, I noticed how heavily it all bore on me, and how light on him when the evidence was given the box. I noticed how it was always me that had come forward, and could be swore to, how it was always me that the money had been paid to, how it was always me that had seemed to work the thing and get the profit. But when the defense come on, then I see the plain plainer, for it says the counselor for Compisent, my lord and gentlemen, here you has afore you side by side, two persons as your eyes can separate wide, one the younger well brought up, who will be spoke to as such, one the elder ill brought up, who will be spoke to as such, one the younger seldom if ever seen in these here transactions, and only suspected, 
Neither the elder always seen in him and always with his guilt brought home. Can you doubt if there is but one in it, which is the one, and if there is two in it, which is much the worst one? And such like. When it come to character, weren't it compison as had been to the school, and weren't it his schoolfellows as was in this position and in that, and weren't it him as had been known by witnesses in such clubs and societies, and now to his disadvantage, and weren't it me as had been tried afore, and as had been known up hill and down dale in Bridewell's knock-ups, and when it come to speech-making, weren't it compison as could speak to him with his face dropping every now and then into his white-pocket handkerchief? Ah, and with verses in his speech, too. And weren't it me as could only say, gentlemen, this man at my side is the most precious rascal. And when the verdict come, weren't it compison as was recommended to mercy on the account of good character and bad company, and giving up all the information he could age in me. And weren't it me as got never a word but guilty. And when I says to compison... Once out of this court, I'll smash that face of yourn. Ain't it Compison has prayed the judge to be protected and gets two turnkeys stood betwixt us. And when we're sentenced, ain't it him as gets seven year and me fourteen. And ain't it him as the judge is sorry for because he might have done so well. And ain't it me as the judge perceives to be an old offender of violent passion, likely to come to worse. He had worked himself into a state of great excitement. But he checked it, took two or three short breaths, Swallowed as often, and stretching out his hand towards me, said in a reassuring manner, I ain't going to be low, dear boy. He had so heated himself that he took out his handkerchief and wiped his face and head and neck and hands before he could go on. I had said to Compison that I'd smash that face of his, and I swore Lord Smash mine to do it. We was in the same prison ship, but I couldn't get at him for long, though I tried. At last I come behind him and hit him on the cheek to turn him round and get a smashing one at him, when I was seen and seized. The black hole of that ship weren't a strong one to a judge of black holes that could swim and dive. I escaped to the shore, and I was hiding among the graves there, envying them as was in them and all over when I first see my boy. He regarded me with a look of affection that made him almost abhorrent to me again, though I had felt great pity for him. By my boy, I was given to understand as Compison was out on them marshes too. Upon my soul, I half believe he escaped in his terror to get quit of me. Not knowing it was me as had got ashore, I hunted him down. I smashed his face, and now, says I, as the worst thing I can do, caring nothing for myself, I'll drag you back. And I'd have swum off, towing him by the hair if it had come to that, and I'd have got him aboard without the soldiers. Of course, he'd much the best of it to the last. His character was so good... He had escaped when he was made half-wild by me and my murderous intentions, and his punishment was light. I was put in irons, brought to trial again, and sent for life. I didn't stop for life, dear boy, and Pip's comrade being here. He wiped himself again, as he had done before, and then slowly took his tangle of tobacco from his pocket and plucked his pipe from his buttonhole and slowly filled it and began to smoke. Is he dead? I asked after a silence. Is who dead, dear boy? Compison. He hopes I am. If he's alive, you may be sure. With a fierce look, I never heard no more of him. Herbert had been writing with his pencil in the cover of a book. He softly pushed the book over to me as Provis stood smoking with his eyes on the fire, and I read in it. Young Havisham's name was Arthur. Compison is the man who professed to be Miss Havisham's lover. I shut the book and nodded slightly to Herbert and put the book by, but we neither of us said anything and both looked at Provis as he stood smoking by the fire. Thank you for joining Bite at a Time Books today, while we read a bite of one of your favorite classics. Again, my name is Brie Carlisle.
and I hope you come back tomorrow for the next bites of Great Expectations. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at biteatatimebooks.com and check out the shop. You can check out the show notes or our website, biteatatimebooks.com, for the rest of the links for our show. We'd love to hear from you on social media as well.